the Wholeness Network. Awaken to the reality of wholeness. Brian Miller is a husband and father, writer and teacher, entrepreneur and philanthropist, and a spiritual coach. Within the Larry H. Miller Group of Companies, Brian serves on the Board of Directors and as Executive Director of Culture. Outside the family enterprise, Brian is president of a consultancy group that serves the needs of individuals and legacy families. He recently launched the School for Good Living, a coaching company dedicated to helping achievers live extraordinary lives of happiness, meaning, and contribution and to helping legacy families position themselves for multi-generational success. Brian's guiding philosophy is, live a life that matters. We're so excited to have you join us today, Brian. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you. And I'm excited to hear you explain to us what is mindfulness. Something I'm still figuring out, <laughs> <laughs> to be sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to talk about mindfulness, and none of the words that I've found for this yet mm -hmm. I like. Um, the term that I like most at this point is actually presence. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but if you talk about mindfulness, you talk about presence. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways of understanding it, defining it. Uh, one of the ways that I really like to think of it is merely being where you are, doing what you're doing when you're there. Wow. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love that. So, so simple, but not necessarily easy. But it is hard, yeah, in a busy life to always be present. Well, I think it can be, for sure. <laughs> and someone pointed out to me that thinking can be addictive, that we can become addicted to our thoughts. And, you know, thinking is not the same as experiencing. So how we can more fully experience life and not just live in our concepts of life, I mean, that's, that's an interesting question. I think that's a worthwhile question. Some of the other ways that I've heard mindfulness talked about that I find really useful, um, David G., talks about mindfulness as the progressive quieting of the fluctuations of the mind, mm, which I, I like thought that, that was an interesting, and, and I like that one because I experience that. You know, if I make a conscious effort to still my mind and to watch my thoughts and not be, mm -hmm. you know, chasing my thoughts or lost in my thoughts, that it is as, and I more fully associate myself as the observer of those thoughts mm -hmm. that I can see the progressive quieting of the fluctuations of the mind. So that, that's one thing. And then another one that I actually really like is this idea that uh, meditation, which is different from mindfulness, but related, right? Um, I've heard a description of meditation as merely a special form of concentration, right? Mm -hmm. So where we put our attention, what we're concentrated on. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's really interesting and very useful. Yes. And so there's many ways to apply mindfulness, mindfulness meditation being one, but even being mindful in your eating, being mindful in your living, being mindful in yeah. the shower. Yeah, every <laughs> moment. Every That's moment. Right. Yes. That's right. Yes. So how would somebody know in their life that they needed to stop and be more mindful? 
Mm-hmm. When can you feel yourself out of balance or how, what point do you know that I need to stop right now and quiet yeah. that mind? Yeah. Well, the first thing I think of is I don't think that anyone needs to. I don't mm-hmm. think they need, I don't think it's a need. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be. I, I tend to think of it more as a, as a desire. And someone once told me, you know, when the pain is bad enough, we'll change. But life typically seems to work until it doesn't in whatever area, in relationships, in our career, in our health, you know, whatever. And, and so my experience is when people, it usually takes a dramatic, traumatic kind of event, like a wake-up call for mm-hmm. somebody, a diagnosis, a divorce, losing a job, something like that, before they realize, you know, they want to make significant changes in their life. Right. Um, I think what's really magical is that we could decide that in any moment, but most of us don't. Mm-hmm. We wait until the pain is bad enough and then we choose to live or be a different way. But just to go sure. back to where I started, I don't think anyone needs to. Right? <laughs> it's but, a choice. Yeah. Right. Ultimately, I think it's a choice. Right. For you, has it been something that you has been, you know, has it been life changing for you to go in that direction? Was oh, it yeah. was it a night and day difference or was this something that was kind of part of your life all along? Or was there No, being mindful was never a part of my life. Uh, at least consciously for the first three and a half decades, you know, it's Mm -hmm. only in the last seven years or so, six, seven years that it's something that, uh, I've made a conscious effort to, to live. Don't you find that? I think last seven years is probably an interesting number. There's a lot of people that probably that same, I'm in that same time frame as well. Yeah. Not associated with it at all. And now I really couldn't live without it, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. Someone who taught me a a process that I use, a meditative and mindfulness process that I use, that I've been doing every morning and every night now, I haven't missed a day Mm. uh, of doing this particular practice in two years, uh, suggested that once I incorporated it into my life, that it would become like brushing my teeth, Mm -hmm. that no matter what, I wouldn't, you know, stop doing it. And that's, that's totally been the case. And it doesn't matter for me what time zone I'm in, how busy I am, if I'm sick, whether I feel like it or not, you know, it's, it's a, it's a decision that I've made and I'm not to say that I'll do it forever. Maybe I'll make a different decision at some point, but since, um, you know, it's nearly two years, I haven't missed one time morning or night. That's a goal of mine is I, when my mom was born in the thirties and her mom would sneak her baking soda to brush teeth. Cause it wasn't, it was more, frivolous at the time and now it's just part of our identity i yeah. hope that yeah. taking time to pay attention to the other parts of you becomes so to, have you heard that yeah. just makes me say yes yeah that same person also said that it's a bit like taking a mental bath um, right like you cleanse yourself in a way and if you think about if you didn't bathe for years <laughs> right what would that be like for the people around you Right. And many of us don't take a mental bath or any, yeah. do anything to consciously cleanse our other selves, our emotional self, our mental self, our spiritual self. And what a disservice we're doing to those who, <laughs> who love us or who have to spend time with us. So true. Yes. No. And so how long is that practice morning and night? Is it a set time or are you just... So I don't set a timer, um, but it averages about 21 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Which is a big... I do feel there's a big commitment. I remember I read um, Deepak Chopra's book, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, many years ago. And that was the first time I encountered the suggestion to meditate 30 minutes a day. 
And I was like, who has time for that? <laughs> you know, like who would do that? So for me, it's not, I mean, in fact, I think many people who attempt to jump in with a commitment like that, they often set themselves up to fail because they haven't organized their life in a way that's conducive to that. Yes. You know, for me, there were many years where my practice looked nothing like that. Like it literally, there were days where it was one minute, mm-hmm. but I did it for one minute to preserve the discipline and to prove to myself that I had the commitment and to, for the benefits that I experienced, which mm-hmm. I, I do experience. That's great yeah. advice. That's do what amazing. you can. Just yeah. keep, keep doing it. And now I think Deepak's, what, two hours a day he's up to. It wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Yeah. 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 As you've traveled around the world, because you've gone to many countries, yeah. how, what's the number now? Nearly 70. Oh, my goodness. Do you find pieces of mindfulness everywhere you go? Do you find them practicing mindfulness in different ways? Or yeah. How different is it around? Yeah. Well, what I find is like everything, you know, there's I think almost everything in life. It really is a bell curve, you know, and you find people that are very present. They're very mindful. Many of those same people are also very kind, you know, very generous. And there's people that are maybe less kind, less present, less thoughtful. And I don't think it really has anything to do with the particular place or the city or whatever. I think it's just, yeah, there's people like that everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that is, mm-hmm. you know. And Michelle was wondering about your degree. Yeah, your East. Oh, yeah. Tell us about yeah, that. So, process. Asian studies. So, yeah, yeah I have um, from the University of Utah, I've got a degree in Asian studies and a degree in English. I've always mm-hmm. loved languages and I've had a hard time making up my mind. <laughs> so, you know, someone once suggested uh, when given a choice, choose both. <laughs> and I pursue that. Of course, there's a Japanese proverb, chase two hairs, catch neither. <laughs> so you know, there's, there's both sides. But um, I've really been drawn to Asian studies my whole life. And, and as I said, language. And um, I studied in Japan for a few years. And I've studied the language for five. I studied for about a year, one academic year in Japan. And since then, it's only the last few years that I've really started to study uh, India. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how was I an Asian studies major and didn't really <laughs> study India? And now I've really enjoyed learning about its history and its culture and all of its diversity, more than 800 languages mm-hmm. you know, spoken there. It's incredible. That's amazing. That is amazing. So here's a question. As a business owner, is it possible to incorporate mindfulness in business or is that just something <clears throat> you do personally and you bring your very mindful self into your business? <laughs> do you yeah. work as a group on mindfulness or? We do, Yeah. You know, the saying, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? And so I think if you're a mindful person, you pretty much can't not bring it into your business. And conversely, if you don't practice mindfulness, you know, you probably won't invite it into your business. And I think it's true with basically any organization, any group of people that the leader does seem to have a disproportionate influence on the culture and, you know, the goings on of of any given set of activities. So yeah, and and I'll also say this: it's not to say I don't think it's one is better than the other per se. Um, where I do think mindfulness has a real utility in business is being a, what I say being associated with one's purpose, right? Because if a business's purpose is only to maximize profit, you know, to do the thing that basically every business school teaches, which is maximize shareholder value at all costs, if you carry that out, pure capitalism to its extreme it's actually very destructive. It's destructive to 
environments, it's destructive to people, it's exploitative, perhaps totally ungoverned, just in its pure form. And don't get me wrong, I, I love capitalism, I love free enterprise. I think that ultimately it's elevated more people than any anything we've created as a as a species, except maybe language, mm -hmm. right? So it's a very powerful thing. But I think mindfulness can help us really remember why are we doing what we're doing, right? And then be deliberate about how we do it. Remembering that people, you know, are people, people matter, people have experiences. They're not just resources, mm -hmm. right? They're not just consumers, but that we have the chance to impact people's lives, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. just by interacting, by buying something from them if they're a vendor, by selling to them if they're a customer or a client, you know, by employing them. And, mm -hmm. and thinking about what is that experience all the way around, including for the environment, mm -hmm. you know, and I think mind, being mindful lends itself to those, like preserving an awareness of those things, mm -hmm. not just going, okay, it's 8 a.m., let's get to the office and how many sales calls can we make and how can we minimize expenses and maximize revenues and just pump that bottom line. Like, I think that's ultimately very unfulfilling mm -hmm. to the human spirit. And we're seeing it in the way millennials work, you know, we're seeing it in engagement, rates of employee engagement. Um, so it's showing up and, and I happen to think that it's part of what's not working about our society in terms of, you know, addiction or depression or even divorce rates and, you know, family lives and this kind of thing. So yeah, I think, I know I said, I don't think one is better than the other, but I do think that people are likely to experience many benefits of practicing mindful business or conscious capitalism. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? Because it would have been so easy for you to just go on that corporate track yeah. Were you taught that? Was that something from the beginning? Or is that something you've really taken on and brought to, to, to your business? Yeah. What's that Native American saying about when all the forests are cut and all the rivers are dead, you know, we'll discover we can't eat money, mm -hmm. you know, some, something like that. <laughs> oh. And, and what I've experienced in my life, having grown up um, inside a successful family business mm -hmm. and having privilege and having opportunity and having access to resources is that I wasn't fulfilled. You know, mm -hmm. I found myself in a place that I think many people wish they were yeah. not mm -hmm. having to work, you know, mm -hmm. having a large network, um, having incredible opportunity. And when I saw that I was not happy, mm -hmm. I knew there had to be something more. It wow. wasn't, and it wasn't a, another zero at the end of my net worth that was going to make me happy. Like I was very clear about that. And it wasn't anything I could buy because by then I bought a lot of stuff. I'd done a lot of things and none of that brought lasting satisfaction. So I knew there must be something else. Wow. That's a big character you have to pull yourself out <laughs> of that. That is uh, very admirable mm -hmm. because I can imagine take, you know, that I think so many people think if I have this and this, I'm good. Yeah. And, and it's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. I have a mentor, uh, Marshall Goldsmith, who he, he has this saying, the great Western disease, you know, and he himself is, he's American, he's white, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he is a student of, of Buddhism, uh, which is amazing to me that he's one of the world, if not the world's leading CEO coach. And here's this guy that subscribes to, you know, some of these principles. Um, but he says the great Western disease is I'll be happy when. Yeah. Mm. That's so true. Wow. That's so true. And that's the the opposite of that is mindfulness. Right. Right? Yeah. And and one of the things that I think is so powerful about mindfulness is that first of all, um, this idea that I love to discuss with people that nothing is upsetting in the present. 
If you're truly present, whatever you're dealing with, you're dealing with it. You're not judging it. You're not evaluating it. You're not resisting it. You're not even looking forward to something. You're just dealing, you're just there dealing with it. But the other thing is that in the present moment, uh, my experience and pretty much the experience of everyone I've worked with on this topic is that what's there in the present moment is gratitude is when you really get present that there's this profound sense that that goes beyond language's ability to describe right but for me it occurs like everything's a gift but if i'm not in the present moment if i discover myself suffering what i call suffering in any way if i'm unhappy if i'm stressed if i'm uh, frustrated right if i'm angry every time that i've been paying attention i'm not present so all of those things become for me a signal Oh, hey, here's your opportunity. This is your reminder to return to the present moment. <laughs> we were talking to a, a, a gentleman that was, he was a near-death experience, you know. And the way he described it, I asked him, I said, he said, over there, this is the dream. It's much mm. clearer over there. And I said, do you think it's because the present moment, you are just only in the present moment over there? Because here you you are constantly being pulled in different directions. And I, and we discussed that. I thought that is fascinating. I mean, and then they come back with pure love and joy and gratitude and, and why, because they were just always experiencing the moment that they were in while they were there. Yeah. The eternal now. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. As we've talked about mindfulness, I think that's so helpful to people to understand there's so much, depth in the moment every Mm -hmm. moment has a depth that is easy to miss but when you feel that presence and feel that gratitude it really enriches lives yeah and before we wrap up on the topic of mindfulness this keep going realization (laughs) that any of these insights any of these concepts any of these ideas as amazing as they might be as useful as they might be they're not the experience Right. right so it's kind of like this well, you can learn a lot about tennis or you can learn a lot about swimming or riding a bike, but until you go play tennis or you go swim or you go ride a bike, you haven't learned what there is to learn about those things. Mm-hmm. So Sharon Salzberg, uh, an amazing teacher of mindfulness, talks about the most important part of meditation is sitting down to do it, mm-hmm. right? Or of mindfulness is bringing yourself into the present moment. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a practice. So for anybody who's watching this I, or listening to this, I just hope, that, um, you know, they take whatever's useful from this discussion and then they go beyond, you know, these great ideas or maybe what might be inspiring concepts and they actually get to the experience, right? Because this is like great a finger advice. pointing at the moon yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But don't mistake the finger for the, for the moon. Mm-hmm. Great right. advice. of knowledge and growth at thewholenessnetwork.com.